Hey, podcast listeners, it's Carrie Newhoff with a very special announcement. Um, do you know how close we are to 5 million downloads on this podcast? Like, we are almost there. And if you're a regular listener, uh, you know what that means. And if you're brand new, let me fill you in. You picked a great time to jump on board with this podcast because we are going to kick off when we hit 5 million downloads. We are going to kick off the biggest giveaway in the history of this podcast. And we've done some really cool stuff in the past, and there's going to be lots of winners on this giveaway. But there is a grand prize that I am so excited about. I can't tell you about it today, but that's why I want you to do this. Do not miss next week and the week after. I know it's a busy season. I know you got a million things to do, but if you're not a subscriber, subscribe. Make sure you don't miss next week and the week after because we're going to tell you what the prize is. We're going to show you how to win. And uh, I really hope that uh, many of you win and this grand prize is going to be crazy it's a way of saying thank you to getting us to 5 million downloads. So don't miss next week and the week after. In the meantime, let's get going with this week's episode. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 167 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Let me just start by saying thank you to all of you who have been so great in giving feedback and leaving reviews and sharing this podcast. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, that we get to do this every week. I've been on tour this fall and uh, Orange Tour and speaking in different cities. I'm actually flying to San Francisco again later today. And uh, man, so many of you come up and just say thank you and you let me know specific stories of uh, what this is doing for you and, and how it's helping. So whether you're on your run today, whether you are on your commute or cooking a meal or whatever you're doing when you're listening to this, thank you for that. And thank you for spreading the word. You know, we have over 500 reviews now on iTunes and that really helps the podcast get noticed by other leaders. Also, when you share it on social, we're so grateful. And of course, you know, hopefully you've subscribed by now. If this is the first time listening to it, make sure you subscribe and, and encourage your team to. And I also want to say, uh, I'm so encouraged to find out that so many of you are sharing this resource with your teams. And, you know, one of the things, the goals of this podcast at the very beginning was to take people you know, and then people you may never have heard of, like church leaders just like you who are making a difference. And today's one of those episodes where guy I met a couple years ago, Chris Gepner at the Rethink Leadership event, uh, he came down on a mission trip to Guatemala with me. I got to know his story. And it's just powerful what God's doing through him in Vermont. It's a fascinating story about a guy from Florida, a couple of beach bums who went to a place that is sort of the opposite of what they're comfortable with. They went to Vermont and they built a church and, and a great church and a growing church that's making a difference in the state. And you're going to love this conversation Chris has got a great heart. He's a fantastic leader. And like you and me, he's just trying to make a difference in the local church. So I think you're going to love this episode. Speaking of Rethink Leadership, have you registered yet? You know, it's coming up in April of 2018. Andy Stanley is going to be there, Reggie Joyner, myself, Brad Lominick. 
John Acuff, and a host of other speakers that we'll be announcing. But what you want to do is you want to get in while, number one, the rates are still good, and number two... Uh, before it's sold out, because it's sold out every year so far. And it happens the final week of April. You can go to RethinkLeadership.com and please check it out and register. It is an unusual and wonderful experience, unlike anything I think you've ever been to. Uh, we sit you around tables. You get to know other leaders. It's senior leaders only, campus, executive, and senior pastors. That's it. And uh, we just pour some leadership rocket fuel into you. So we would love for you to join us for that, you can go to RethinkLeadership.com to register today. Also, uh, what are you doing? I get this question all the time. What are you doing in terms of training your leaders and developing a leadership pipeline? Because let, let's be honest, so much of what you do in leadership really depends on how well you train your leaders. And most churches have more opportunities than they have leaders ready to seize them. So if you don't have time to record training videos, if you're looking for a place where you can actually just say, hey, volunteers go here, and it shows up on an app on their phone, and they get trained, it, it, it's amazing. It's called Ministry Grid. And they've done the work with you. They have 750 courses to choose from. Boom, like right there. And if you're looking to train volunteers, teachers, other leaders, you can use these pathways to equip all the individuals in your church. And with Ministry Grid, you can customize any training you'd like. You can add videos, PDF, YouTube videos, or any content that you think would be great for your volunteers. Uh, the software they've got is, is unbelievable. And it can all be done on your phone. Um, Ministry Grid in the last few months has been completely rebuilt uh, to be made truly accessible to mobile, and you can train on the go. So really, you can train anyone, anytime, anywhere in your church. Now, make sure you check it out. You can join the 400,000 other leaders who found their training on Ministry Grid last year. Just go to lifeway.com slash ministry grid to get started. And to help you get ready for the wave of Christmas visitors, you know what? The first-time guest team training is available for free until December 31st. So, Go to lifeway.com slash ministry grid to get started today. Well, speaking of getting started, let's jump into my conversation with Chris Gepner. You're going to find everything in the show notes, carrynewhoff.com slash episode 167. And uh, yeah, here we go. Well, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, uh, I got to ask you, you began ministry in New England, but you're a Florida boy. Like, how did, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm a beach bum from West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, the only way I can explain that we were able to come here to Vermont is intervention of the Holy Spirit of God. And I know it sounds like uber spiritual, but that's the only yeah. way. Yeah. I like the beach. Me and my wife are beach bums. We, we like swimming. We like, you know, I like fishing on the ocean and it just makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. So you, you were raised in Florida. She's Jersey, right? Your wife is Penny. Right. And how long have you guys been married? We've been married uh, 18 years. That's 18 awesome. Years. Yeah. So 18 she's, years. She's and... incredible, man. <laughs> we both married up, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have for sure. <laughs> and you have as well. I've never met Penny, yeah. but she seemed, Instagram tells me she's great. She's so, um, hey, so help, help us figure this out because, I mean, Vermont, New England, that's tough soil to crack. Yeah. And, um, you know, it'd be a lot easier to start a church in Florida or Jersey where your wife is from. But, you know, I can even see going to Texas and like, OK, we're going to plant in Texas. We're planting California. But like New England, that's 
That's a tough one. I mean, there's a few churches. We've had Matt Tuning on before, Josh Gagnon a couple times. He'll be back. And like, you know, there's some, there's some pockets of goodness, but you started your church how long ago? We started uh, seven years ago. It'll be yeah. eight in uh, 2018. And so, yeah, it's, it, you know what I say? Wh- the question, why Vermont? I always say, like, God has a good sense of humor, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing I can say because it makes zero sense. And I, that's what I'm starting to recognize, Carrie, is uh, a lot of the the leaders that God's calling to New England, it, it it doesn't make sense. It's not the traditional. It's not the conventional. It's It just doesn't make sense. And I think it's kind of cool, you know, that uh, God gets a lot more glory in that story because it makes zero sense that I should be here. So tell us the story. How'd you get there? Like, yeah. uh, and, and I agree. I've had a couple of times in my life where there have been, you know, supernatural moments for me where I'm like, okay, yeah. that was God. Most days yeah. it's like I read my Bible and pray and hope I do, I'm doing the right thing. But yeah. how, how, did, how did you and your family end up from Florida in, in New England planting a church yeah. in a town where you knew nobody? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I've never shared this part before, so I'm going to kind of go raw with you a little bit. It goes back. Um, so when I was a kid, my parents moved from South Florida to Southern New England for a few years. So I was a kid. Oh, okay. And we moved to rural New Hampshire by the coast. It's actually, yeah. uh, the town, like in the town right there where Joshua Gagnon is, right down in that area. And I hated it. Really? I hated New England. I'm, I was as beach bum then as I am now. I mean, <laughs> I was, I was made fun of. It was a, it was a rough go for me. And when we moved back to Florida in high school, I remember saying, I'll never go back there forward to 2005. Um, and I went to a conference. It was a passion conference. I was a young adults pastor in South Florida and went to the, uh, passion conference in Nashville in 2005. This man, I, I literally, I've never shared this before. Wow. I was at the Passion Conference and Louis Giglio was speaking about uh, New England and Boston. And up until that point in my life, I had put that, I had put New England away in my memory. I said, I'll never go back there. I never want to yeah. go back. I, hated, I just didn't have, there was, it didn't, it didn't reflect me. You know, it was right, not me. Right, right. Louis says, some of you, this is so, this is like a quote, some of you in this room, and there's like 15,000 people. I felt like I was the only one in the room. He says, some of you are called to go to New England and Boston to plant churches one day. Mm. I don't know if he ever remembers that. I have no idea. But man, that was when God, like that was when the seed was planted in my heart. And he, and he asked, if that's you, will you stand up? And I stood up that day. Man. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Got goosebumps. Wow. Yeah, I'll never forget it. And I sh- that was in 2005. Well, what had happened was a few weeks later, Penny and I, we were unable to have children naturally. Mm-hmm. And we're real candid about that. It's, I feel like it's a ministry for us. Like, you know, we weren't able to have children naturally. So we said, let's buy a couple, you know. <laughs> and so we, uh, we started the process of adoption. And it was right after that time, and it was almost like it was a new season for us, and it took a few years. Uh, by 2009, in October 2009, we had a, adopted our children. We were kind of, in our, our, like, kind of in our rhythm of life, and I went to Catalyst Conference that year. I mm. uh, had never been, um, and I went to a breakout, and Herbert Cooper was there. I'd yeah. never heard of Herbert Cooper. And, uh, I said, I just want to go to that breakout. I don't know who he is, but I'm going to go to that breakout. I felt, I don't know why. 
And uh, that was when that was like almost like that seed that had been planted in 2005. Yeah. It was almost like uh, that's when it sprouted. Like Herbert Cooper said, some of you need to get out of your boat and experience a miracle instead of sitting in the boat and watch a miracle take place. And I said, I want to experience a miracle. I don't want to sit in a miracle and watch it. I don't want to watch something take place. Who, who wants to do that? I don't want to get out of the boat like Peter did, right? And so um, that began what we call today Riverbank Church in White River wow. Junction, Vermont. It was that initial, uh, it was Louis Giglio 2005, forward to 2009, uh, Herbert Cooper. And within, within four months, we were boots on the ground up here. because That's it was fast. Started. Isn't that crazy? Within four months of Catalyst yeah. 2009, you've moved, you've left your jobs in Florida. And okay, why Vermont? Like, why did you tell, tell us the town you're in? Yeah, we're in White River Junction, Vermont. It's a town of about, so it's, it's interesting. We're, we're in a town, ta- they call it a town of Hartford, Vermont, but they're made, it's broken into villages. And so we're in the village of White River Junction of about 2,500 people. Okay. A very small community. And so I moved from Palm Beach County, Florida, population 1.5 million. <laughs> and so it's a different world. Mm-hmm. And, and why'd you pick White River Junction? Man, it's funny. When we moved, so when um, right after Catalyst, I really, like, I started praying and fasting because I was like, we got to get out of the boat and experience a miracle. You know, I'm that kind of guy. I'm like, let's do it now. Whatever right, it is, let's right. figure out what that get out of the boat thing is. And I really felt during that time of prayer and fasting that the Lord just said, I want you to go. And this, I wrote this in my journal. I have it to this day. I'll show it to you someday. It says, uh, the Lord just spoke to me in my quiet time. I want you to move to Lebanon, New Hampshire and start a church. And I, I was like, okay, this is too weird. Cause I'm not spooky like that, Carrie, you know, yeah. I'm just not, but something spooky happened that day. Uh-huh. I shared that with my wife two days later, Penny. And she says, I think I'm going to get sick. And so I said, I know, me too. Maybe this is, maybe God's just stirring us up. Maybe we could adopt again. And she's like, that's not happening. Yeah. So uh, uh, anyway, forward, we just knew that we were supposed to, to move to, up to this area, Lebanon, New Hampshire. So we actually launched the church in April of 2010 in Lebanon, New Hampshire, wow. which is another small town. So to give you perspective, White River Junction, Vermont, where the church currently is, is across the river from the town of Lebanon, New Hampshire. Gotcha. And uh, so they're kind of connected, but they're not. Right. So, so two yeah. states, but right on the border, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic here. You got the Vermont thing and the New Hampshire thing. And we're real close to Dartmouth College, uh, Ivy League school. So that's kind of a, a, a mm-hmm. kind of adds a little bit of a worldly element here in a good way. Like you feel like you're in somewhere. <laughs> right, right. So you, you like say there, there's a definite like New Hampshire, Vermont vibe, like even across the river. You can throw a stone, but like there's a difference. Totally different. So you've got like New Hampshire is is more um, has more of the the quintessential New England um, accent and vibe, and Vermont is more uh, kind of a rugged individualistic mindset. Okay. It's all it's a mountainous, uh, and, it, and there is a distinct difference. The government's different. You know, we're the home of Bernie Sanders. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a different place. Wow. And you have people from both states flooding into we your do. church. We do. We're a regional church. So that, that, that's what makes it so unique is that uh, in this rural community where people from so like people like live in these 
little podunk towns in the mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. We're a church that pulls people from all those different places, the little towns. It's really a really cool dynamic. Okay, so let's rewind the tape a little bit and go back to those first few months as you're making your move. You're an ARC church plant, right? Yeah. Association well, we were, related. Yeah, we're a, we're a partner, so I didn't even know about ARC at the time. So. Okay, <laughs> that was yeah. after, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how do you plant a church in a town where I assume you know nobody or anybody you would know you wouldn't like because you were there, <laughs> you know, a decade or two ago? It's crazy. Uh, we just, that was kind of where I felt like the Lord was telling us to go. We just moved here. Uh, we moved here on January. Uh, we, I remember we arrived January 3rd, 2010 in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> Florida boy, <laughs> beach bums. Yeah, there you yeah are. It, was, it was, it was dreadful. And so we, um, we moved into our place and that was January 3rd. The next Sunday we had a, what we call a launch team meeting. So we started just talking to people. I, I'm a pretty friendly guy. And like what, like coffee shops and yeah, that's exactly what it was. DMV, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, wherever we could talk to so people. So give me your pitch. Okay, so I'm, I'm at the coffee shop. I'm at the grocery store. I'm the guy who you hired to help you move. What, what are you saying to me? Yeah, well, they always know I'm from somewhere else because um, I, I've been told that uh, my accent sounds a bit of a uh, southern burnout beach bum. So that's that southern kind of thing. burnout beach bum. Yeah. That's awesome, Chris. Yeah. And so I, I'm told that, and I guess it, it is true. They always ask, hey, where, where are you from? Because they can tell you're not from Vermont. You're not from New Hampshire. That's right. They're like, where are you from? I say, yeah, I'm from, uh, I'm from South Florida. Just moved here. Really? What brought you here? Yeah. That's the hook. Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, we're starting a different kind of church. Oh, really? And you'd be surprised how many people would want to know more. Okay. I mean, you always have your New Englander who would say, oh, they freeze up. But there's a, it's amazing how many people say, oh, yeah, tell me more about that. Really? So yeah. you get some people who freeze up, for sure. Mm-hmm. And what, okay. Um, tell, me, tell me how you took it from there. Like, how did you go from, hey, we just moved into an interest meeting. How many people came to that first meeting? Are you ready for this? Yeah. Eight. Hey, that's better than none. That's great. <laughs> that's right. We were thrilled with that. Yeah, eight. And um, I remember uh, of the eight, two of them weren't. They were. They were pre. They were pre-Christians. You know, they wow. were. They weren't believers. So uh, they came into our house. We had pizza, and I just started just talking about what a different kind of church looks like. Uh, How did, what, what vision first, did you have? Like just based on what you were experiencing in Florida and Catalyst and passion and that kind of thing. It was just like, hey, we're just going to do this different. Yeah, I felt like um, it was interesting at that time. Um, Barna had come out with the statistics that Vermont was the least, you know, reached state in America and New yeah. Hampshire was like right on the tail second. Right. And it's like, it's, it's pretty crazy uh, how unreached it is up here. And I think that was like a motivating factor for me is like, this is unreached. And so we're just going to go into this like we're different in that we're going to be a church where, you know, church people wouldn't want to go, to be honest with you. Right. So you're just going to do something different that would reach people that would never go or had never been to church. So I may get the stat wrong, but from what I remember, it's something like, you know, single digits, like maybe 3% of the population would be in church on a Sunday in New England. Is that is that remotely accurate? Yeah, it's, it's I, ju- I just looked these up. Uh, Arda. The Association of Religious Data Archives says that uh, n- t- there are 22,000 
evangelical church attenders uh, of the 626,000. So it's 3.6%. Uh, 3.6? Yeah. Wow. 3.6%. Oh, that's good. If I can make up stats that accurately, I should keep going. That's You're pretty good. good. man. <laughs> 3.6%. My guess is that's a little bit higher today than it even was seven or eight years ago because you guys weren't around. Next Level Church wasn't around. Um, there's some other churches that even weren't really in existence or or hadn't caught fire yet. So isn't that interesting? And yet you got in... Well, I guess only, all you need is eight people, right? <laughs> if you look at it that yeah, way, right? It's not You don't need 600,000. You just need eight. You got to hear this. There's a guy in our launch team. This yeah. is a true story. He, he is an interesting character. From He still comes to our church. And he said, hey, um, do you know the Pope? <laughs> I, was I was like, uh, no, nah, man, I don't. I'd like to meet him. That'd be kind of cool. He's like, oh, I thought maybe you had a cell phone or something. I thought, Because <laughs> you were a Christian and a pastor. Yeah, yeah, so we're exactly. all connected, right? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. I had a buddy of mine, Casey Graham, who's been a guest on this podcast. And he came up to see us and he got hassled at immigration coming into Canada, which I guess is actually quite common <laughs> despite our reputation. And uh, he was like, like, you work for a church? What? Like, do you know the Pope? <laughs> it must be, must be a common like stereotype it's in unchurched funny that areas. That's the place where people naturally like, do you know the Pope? That's great. Right. Yeah, we, we were hanging out Friday night. But anyway, what do you want? Yeah. So, okay, you start with those eight people and then sort of walk us through the launch phase. What did you do to gather momentum? How long did it take? What did you open with on your opening Sunday? Because, I mean, it's just hard to get traction in a place where there aren't a whole lot of churches because, mm-hmm. you know, the secret of church planning is churches for unchurched people are opened and started with church people, right? That's how it sure. happens. You get people who have a vision for their friends, who give, who serve, who make it possible, uh, we're launching another location right now at Connexus Church, and I mean, that's where you start. You have a few unchurched people in the mix, but got to find some Christians to serve, give, and invite their friends, and you know, down the road, you get a lot of unchurched people. But sure. So how do you do that? Well, one of the blessings that we had, and that's like such a church word, but it's so true. We had uh, two families, two guys that I had been mentoring in Florida, and I called my heroes. They left Florida and moved up here with us. That's right. They're still with us. They're on our team. Both of them are pastors on our staff. And they moved up. And it just took the load off of me and Penny. Uh, and so you spread that out amongst three families. It just makes it a lot easier. And you're all on target. So, you know, what we did is we started casting vision. We want, we're a church on a rescue mission. Yeah, and, and and that's literally, and it's still our sticky statement to this day. We're on a rescue mission, and so our team, uh, which was the three families and the initial couple others that were at our launch team, we just started going out and talking to people. And one of the cool, I, I, and there's a couple of really cool things that we found through that initial launch process was making the right connections in the right places. So for us, was the Chamber of Commerce. Hmm. What honey hole, man. That was yeah. like the best contact point because you have people who are entrepreneurial in spirit, people who are looking to better themselves, learning, growing. And they hear like we go and join. We're the first church to ever join the chamber here. They were like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, because we want to get to know you because you're going to go to our church. You know, like, oh, OK. <laughs> it was just a, it was really an unbelievable assistance to our launch getting in, plugged into the the chamber of commerce here. When you got resistance, what kind of resistance did you get? 
man, this is a whole, man, this is, we, we hit resistance unlike I ever thought we would. Really? Uh, so I'll give you a little, so we launched from this one particular location in April of 2010 from the Lebanon Opera House, which is like, okay. it's the Opera House in this particular town also houses the city hall. And so we made the newspaper that week, but also that week, we also made the city, uh, the city, uh, meeting oh, because wow. on the front page of the newspaper is Riverbank church. And our, we put our big, uh, like it's a big sign poster on the front of the opera house. And little did we know how much that would stir the community up, especially the city leaders. So, um, they changed the town ordinance just because of us in that first week where you can no longer place, um, signs on existing buildings without a permit you have it was it was like a real legit city ordinance that no made way that for it was our first week and uh that would be the first of three city ordinances that they would adjust because of us and it was unbelievable so from that point on we launched in the lebanon opera house and can, can I just stop you there? What, what was yeah, their What was the reasoning? What What are they thinking? They said we were defacing the city hall uh, property. In addition to that, it would uh, it it could stir others to put uh, other signs on buildings that wouldn't meet requirements. Do you think that was the real answer? I mean, or do you think there was a subtext under that? Like, what, what do you think? Yeah, sure. So here's what ended up happening. We uh, we continued to meet in that space and complied with everything. Sure. Uh, and we had a a situation where the city was having another uh, another city meeting. We we had no idea that we were going to be the center of conversation in that meeting. So mm-hmm. I had no idea, but I showed up at the city meeting, and there was literally on the agenda Riverbank Church. And I didn't know. I'm with one of our one of the guys on our team. I'm like, dude, we're on the we're on the list. Well, one of the city leaders um, basically was concerned that we were using the 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 Lebanon Opera House to meet in. And this is after the sign situation. Now right. she's like, you know, this is a conflict of interest. And you know, we had we had somebody um, who spoke up for us. And they they decided it was okay for us to continue to meet there. But afterwards, I met with that particular city leader, and I asked her. I said, um, "Hey, what's is there something we can do? I, we're not here to to fight. We're not here to you know get in a war. We just we're here to love our community and build make friends." And she just looked at me. She said, "I'll just be honest with you. I don't think we need another church in this area. We don't really? need no churches. Yeah." And um, she said, I'm an atheist and I don't understand this. I don't really know why you have to be here. And I'm just going to make sure that you know that. Very, that was like, what see, she that's said. what I would expect for New England because I can yeah. see that happening in Canada. I can see that happening on the West Coast and probably, you know, in other little pockets of, of America or, or, you know, as well. But that's interesting. And she was that honest with you. She was that honest. And I, I was like, okay. <laughs> At least you're being real. And uh, so at that point, I knew what we were up against in that particular town. And it was at that point, we had to move. 
And so, but our first three years as a church, we moved um, 10 different times. Wow. And did you, was it, it's, it's like, if you ever heard the story of Rick uh, Warren starting Saddleback, it was like, we're the church you had to find, right? That's they moved. basically what it was. And how did that impact your momentum? I mean, in the launch phase, everything's so fickle. Like, what, what did that do to you guys? You know, I just think um, because we're so clear with who we are and what we're doing, and, and I think people rallied also behind it. There was a sense of, like, nothing can stop us. And mm -hmm. so we didn't, really, uh, we didn't really lose any momentum. Um, if anything, it helped. It was almost like a us against the world mentality, you know, like we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to fight through. And there was an, there was another uh, situation where the town uh, created the ordinance for a building that we were renting yeah, and we we're looking to potentially uh, take over. And the town gave us uh, seven days to, to get out because they said there wasn't enough parking there, which was not true. It was, it was fabrication. So it's kind of one of those things where any reason, any way we can make this church a little bit harder for them, we're going to do it. We're going to make, we don't want you here. Uh, and so at that point, we, we put an offer on a, on a property in town. And they, they did it again with uh, zoning. Even though the zoning did not, um, it didn't keep us out of the building. Right. Uh, all we needed was just a signature to say, it's okay for a church to be here. Uh, they basically reared their ugly head and said, hey, we don't want a church here. We don't want you here. And um, that was disappointing, but I also sure. knew God had something else. Isn't, and is that one of the reasons you're across the river now? That's exactly why we, uh, it was within, within weeks. I remember going to that city hall meeting. Um, uh, it was in February and I went to the city hall meeting and we left on from there to go on vacation to Florida. We drove from up here to Florida. That's always fun. <laughs> and uh, I remember being in the car and crying and mm. saying, I'm so glad I'm going on vacation because I just feel like, like nothing's working out here. And in the meantime, God was doing something really cool behind the scenes that it was, it was brutal, Carrie. I'm not going to yeah. lie. It was brutal. You just feel like everybody's against you. You know, just to talk to people who are in communities like that, because there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, listening who are fighting that battle right now. Yeah. I mean, we had that at Conexus Church. So we're in a city of 130,000 people north of Toronto. And uh, I remember when we opened Conexus a decade ago, I had a buddy of mine say, well, welcome to town. And they, the churches here are great. They're fantastic. They've been very, you know, hey, it's going to take a lot of us to reach the city. We have that attitude but he said, good luck finding a building. You'll never get one in Barrie. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, ah, we'll see. And uh, he was almost right. We looked all over the place, and it was the land that we could get. There were two, in a city of 130,000 people, there were two pockets of land that were zoned for churches. That was it. And they were ridiculously expensive and too small at the same time. And on the other hand, we had this M1 industrial zoning that's like mixed commercial light industrial use. Not like, don't think, you know, great big factories and smokestacks. Think, you know, some guy who's got an auto parts place or that kind of thing. So, and that's a big chunk of the city. And it used to be open for churches. So we engaged in a two-year battle that went directly to the mayor and to city council and cost us about $100,000 in soft costs. And we got permission to have that rezoned so that we could, that's where Conexus is today. And then I went back to the mayor and, and to the council, and I just said, look, 
guys, like, why don't you just flip the switch and do this for all the M1 zoning in the city of Barrie? Because you've got nowhere for churches. And you look at what we give back to the city. We give to the food bank. We support. I mean, there's studies out there about what churches do for the community. Anyway, they did it. They did it. So now there are literally hundreds of places where you could, if you wanted to, plant a church in the city of Barrie. But I mean, and I'm happy. That was a kingdom investment, $100,000, you know. But uh, it's it's tough. It's really tough. And cities are closing the door. And one of the big issues, sometimes it's, you know, attitude, but sometimes it's just like, you guys don't pay taxes, right? So therefore, why would we yield valuable acreage to a church? Now, yep. tell me your mission statement. We're on a rescue mission. So, yeah, how do you say a, it? You just say we're on a rescue mission reaching New England for Jesus. And we actually just reworded that from uh, it was we're on a rescue mission reaching vermont new hampshire for jesus and uh, one of our one of our people in church says we need to change that because god's going to take us to other places and i was like yeah we'll change it so it's just we just generalized it to new england i think that's really cool but have you had people say i don't need rescuing what like have you had any pushback on that no no really people no people get it um i think I think the desperate times we people are desperate. Yeah. I think people are there's even as you know we live in an Ivy League community and people have this facade of having everything together but man we do the world's broken and no that word rescue uh, people get it they're they need rescue in their their families and their finances and their I mean you fill in the blank at work and I think that it just speaks to people and uh, it empowers our people it's 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 very empowering and um and it's been that way since day one for us and it keeps that it keeps the um the whole idea of why we came here hot we're not wow. here we're not here to uh to create a holy huddle or a bible bubble mm. you know we were a different church and we're always going to be messy because we're on a rescue mission and and people have rallied around that even at those difficult times when when the city was saying no, people were still saying yes to Jesus, growing in their faith. And so it's just been crucial to our, I believe, crucial to our momentum is just having that clear, we're on a rescue mission. We're not going to let anything let us in. Because that rescue idea, there's an, an urgency behind it. You know, yeah, there's it is. This, like there's nothing going to hold us back because we've got to help people. So why didn't you just quit? I mean, when you got, you know, three strikes, you're out in Lebanon. And I want to hear the rest of the story about how you got across the river to White River Junction. But like, why didn't you just say, well, you know what, Penny, this was a bad idea. We tried. Time to go back to Florida. The beaches are nice there. I know. As much as the doors were closing, they were still opening. Okay. You know, and I, when I say they're opening, it wasn't necessarily the doors were opening in, in meeting spaces for us. But doors were opening with people in a place that has this um, image. People have this image of New England. It's hard and tough. And there's almost this sense of, like, I don't know, people get into a place where um, they think it's a lost cause. Yeah. And for us, the doors were flying open because we saw the opportunity every time. It, it, for us, it wasn't a lost cause. And for us, it wasn't the culture war. It was the opportunity to reach people far from God. And, and so as much as the doors of buildings were shutting, the doors of opportunity with people were just, I mean, just blowing open here. We were meeting in the most obscure, weird places. 
We met in a senior center. We met in an old river mill with seven foot ceilings. And so when you're like, people are worshiping, they're hitting the, through the ceiling. Yeah. And you're tall. You're what? Like yeah. six, three, six, four. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's you're... like, like this. And, um, we met outside multiple times. We met in a bar, uh, for three years. That was where we got most stable. But all that said is it was the opportunity of people. It was unbelievable. And wow. I think that was really for me that just said, oh no, you know, as much as these difficult things are happening and it causes me to, you know, wonder about the community, it drove me to this place of like, there's the opportunities here. So many people that don't know Jesus that need, need hope in him. And we were beginning, we were seeing incredible results. So you're sharing, your staff is sharing the people who came up, the people who are attending Riverbank church, they're sharing with their friends, inviting their friends. Walk us through some of those dynamics. You say people were so open, like uh, tell us some stories or, or just share with us, like how did they get open? How did you connect with them? Was it just personal conversation? Did you get, because one of the things Josh Gagnon has said on this podcast before is, uh, you know, he tried the, the lights and the craziness. And I mean, they have a pretty aggressive style of service there. And he said sometimes they had to back off a little bit because it wasn't New England enough. I mean, did you run into stuff like that, or what? What was your what's your experience been? Yeah, a little bit. I think we just said we are who we are, and I think a lot lends to who I am. I mean, right. I'm not a conventional New England guy, and I think they've just accepted like it's going to be different. He's different, and the right. team's different. And, um, I think for us, it's just been somebody shared this, and one of my great friends in Florida said, "Chris, when you go up there, be you." And mm-hmm. I think. I've been me. I have not changed. I am who I am. But the church has been, we are who we are. And our identity is, it, it reflects the, the leadership and, and the visionary. And we haven't backed off of that. We are just who we are. Very, we're a very authentic church. Um, and we stand out here in a place that um, is relatively conservative uh, in, I guess you could say, when it comes to uh, religious beliefs. And oh yeah, very share that at all, and and highly Catholic too, right? There's a pretty meaningful Roman Catholic population, isn't there? Not here, interestingly really? enough. Yeah, Vermont is high Unitarian Universalist. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, within within forty miles of where I'm sitting right now, Joseph Smith was born. Mary Baker Eddy was born. Really? Yeah, and there was uh, some other borderline, I guess we would call them non, you know, non-orthodox um, Christian type, I want to say cults, you know, right, I mean, right. they're all from like not far from here. And um, some weird so people, stuff. People like, yeah, there, there's a bit of that, that rugged individualism I spoke of earlier kind of permeates into the, to the religious world. And I think we stand out in that we're 21st century church reaching 21st century people and we're not backing down from that. And, you know, people kind of swallowed that pill. They're like, we, we, we were, uh, for the first few years known as the rock church. Which what is does that kind mean? Of fun. I, oh, cause I, he had I, rock I, music. Yeah. 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 I thought that was funny. They're the rock church. And it's like, uh, it's kind of funny. You, you mentioned something about, uh, when you guys, we're getting going there and Barry that there was a little bit uh, like the, the local, like the big C church was embracing. And uh, we didn't find that as much here. You found resistance. Uh, 
We did. We found a little bit of resistance. And for me, it was important to build those relationships. Um, I just worked hard at it. And um, not just that through networks and because um, at first it was tough, but I, through, through just, I think, hustle and, and hard work. So what is that? Scarcity mentality at the beginning? It's like there's only a few of us and... I believe so. Yeah. It goes back to, I, I say this, that, um, I believe you can, you can view the challenge of starting a church in new England or even Canada, three different ways. You can look at it as a lost cause. Hmm. You can look at it as a culture war, right? Uh, they're all, you know, they're this, they're that we label, 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 uh, we're going to become the activists. So you have the, the lost cause where we're going to hunker down Bible belt, uh, or Bible uh, bubble, holy huddle, or the lo- culture war, we're going to protest, we're going to become activists. Or the third way, you can look at it as the opportunity. And I think the opportunity part is being willing to build bridges with people who maybe are a little different than you in your methodology. And I had to work hard at that. Uh, that was important to me. And I, I even had my team hold me accountable to it because I felt like it would be, it would not reflect the body of Christ very well if we created this island and this, it would, it's just not, it's not really being, um, it's not being kingdom minded. And so totally, that whole idea of the opportunity also reflected how you built your relationship with the local Big C Church. What, um, how have you found the interaction with Unitarian Universalists? That's really interesting because these are people who are spiritual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, just a personalized spirituality. Are they open to the gospel? Have you found, have you seen some people get baptized from that background? We have. Um, wow. We have. And I think a lot of it has, they're searching for something. They're searching for something. And what we found is a lot of that, they find that it's just, more of a country club. Yep. There's no real depth and meaning and hope. There's not a lot of hope there. And uh, we have, we've had a lot of inroads with people who have that background. And that's why the rescue mission is so, it has so much weight to them. They, they're like, they feel it, they've lived it. Um, And yeah, we have, it's been pretty cool to see when someone who is spiritual, but they, they just haven't had that transformation uh, in faith in Christ, and they do, and it just all—it's like all the dots have connected. It's pretty—it's yeah. pretty exhilarating. Because that's a big shift in the last twenty, thirty years. Is I think the assumption a few decades ago was that if you didn't go to church, it was because you were atheist or agnostic. Today, if you don't go to church, there's a pretty good chance you're spiritual. But you know, it's yep. mindfulness, it's uh, meditation, it's yoga. It's like, hey, I got my beliefs. Like, leave me alone. Like, I'm fine. And, and that's great that you're seeing fruit in, in that area. So let's go back to getting across the river. How did you end up where you are now? You had a, a town that wasn't, was a little more open? Yeah, you know, it's really cool. So the vacation that I went on to Florida, and I was crying in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a good vacation, by the way. It felt good to get away, especially in the middle of winter. Yeah, it uh, always does. <laughs> it does. So I came back from that vacation and um, made contact with someone. Uh, a broker, a local broker, and said, "Hey, look, we're looking for property." Um, and this was in year, this was in year two, like year two, two and a half. Sure. 
And at that time, we were bouncing from location to location. We had no stable place. And um, word got to one of the local brokers here, and she calls me. Never forget this, Carrie. I I saw it because that incident that happened, um, we couldn't we couldn't acquire the property in Lebanon because of the issue the town had with us was on the front page of the paper. (laughs) She said, "Hey, I read that. Just letting you know, I'm an atheist. I'm not. I don't believe what you believe." But man, I feel bad for you, and I want to help you. I think I found your property, and so I said, "Send me the uh, send me the address." And lo and behold, we uh, we're on it right now. Yeah, um, no, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and uh, so that began for us after that kind of real. I guess we kind of hit rock bottom in regards to feeling accepted by the civil uh, the town civilly, like. Community-wise, we were very well accepted. It's just from the the government. Yeah, from the higher ups. Yeah, so we uh, we began the process of uh, raising funds to buy that property. It's in White River Junction, Vermont. Unbelievable location at the corner of the two interstates that cross. The only two interstates in the state of Vermont, and they cross, and our property's in the corner of them. It's amazing, amazing huge visibility. Yeah, it's amazing. And so um, we we actually uh, bought that property. Uh, closed on it on August 26th and uh, 2013. And so we were at that time meeting in a bar. We had settled into this bar space that was good for us uh, for the time being. And then uh, we started the process. Uh, I didn't want to sit on the property. I felt like, well, we got it. Let's do something with it. And so we we uh, we met with our architect, which, you know, Sandy Gibbs. Oh, yeah. And, Sandy's yes. awesome. Yeah. Did, Helped did design, design Connexus uh, in the early days. You he did. But then he went on to do his own studio. So we had Dave Benham and Sandy Gibbs on it. Dave, it was great. I know Dave. He's Dave's awesome. awesome. Did yeah. you know they're working with, uh, I digress, but they're working with uh, Matt Tuning down in, uh, down in Mass. Oh, uh, that's great. Isn't that cool? Well, we'll, so, we'll uh, link to what they're both doing in the show notes. If you're yeah. looking for architects, we know some good people, really good people. They're really good. I got to say, Conexus is the most efficiently designed building I've ever seen. We have like 14 wasted square feet in the entire 28,000. I think that's it. It's pretty that's cool. That's what I, I tell people all the time, man. Make the most of your space, right? We have to yeah. in our tech. So. so so you moved in. Walk us through the momentum. Was it all up and to the right? Like, or did you have some ups and downs? How how did that how did that happen for you guys over your seven years? Sure. So we we moved, so we closed in our property in uh, 2013. We moved in almost a year to the day. Uh, three years to the day. So it was a three-year process of design, all that stuff, construction. We moved in in August of 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, We moved in uh, running about 400 and um, within, we doubled over overnight. Really? Uh, You went from 400 to 800 just by moving into a building? Pretty much overnight. But here's what's great. And this is where it comes in. It's like, yeah, we doubled overnight, but then we went down again. Yeah. And I think this is a, con, a, a con, something that a lot of people don't bring up is like we, uh, we, we got to the place like okay, now people are leaving again, you know? Right. But I think it was that initial like let's go check this place out. They were resilient. We we knew the people knew about us, um, and so we we grew down to about seven hundred, and stayed there. And we've been, since kind of gone back. We're running around a thousand now. That's incredible. I mean, that's a that's a good sized church, no matter where you are. 
isn't it? Oh, it's not like a, it's not what you expect. It's not like, oh, we took off ever since we like went up and then, <sighs> and then we. With, with the facility changes, did you see some yo-yoing as well? Every time you're moving, like, you know, you would, you had two steps forward, half a step back or, uh, your people stuck with you? It felt like they stuck with us. Um, I do know that there were some that were like, oh, we'll wait until they get stable because they showed up when we moved into our building. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was they were pretty resilient. Oh, that's pretty cool. And yeah. so the big pushes, when were the big, what was happening when the big surges came? Obviously moving into a building, right? Yeah. But you've grown, you've grown another 30% on top of that. Is that just like word of mouth and, and you're in the facility now, you can kind of do what you want to do or what, what is that? I think there's a few factors. I think one is that we've been here a while and there's been for us resilient people saw the headlines on the paper. They heard the stories and we have a very we have an inviting culture. And so yeah. people been inviting people and now they've seen that wow, this is it, by the way, I didn't say this. We this is the first new built church from the ground up in the state of Vermont on record. Uh, and they have 50 years of record with their uh, environmental program here in Vermont. So, so for five decades, idea. first church built in the entire state from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing, Chris. Yeah, it's it's a God story. And it, it goes back to, I was looking somewhere else across the river and God said, well, hold on. <laughs> and, this, and here we are in this way. And that helped. I'll tell you, that helped. People are like, this has never happened here. And so that, I think, has lended to it. And people are slow movers here in rural Vermont. They, they are fast movers. They're not waiting for something to happen. They want to see it happen and then look at it for a little bit and then go participate. So I think that's been part of our story, and especially moving in here. It, ha- it wasn't, we have not experienced explosive growth. How have you and your Florida-based team adjusted to the New England culture? Well, I would say we just dove in. Uh, we bought jackets and boots and just said, have at it. And um, I've kind of, one of the things I didn't do is I didn't become a New Englander. Uh, I, I do not like the New England Patriots, okay? <laughs> I, I'm a Miami Dolphins guy. And I, in a way, Carrie, it's been I think our people find it charming that I've stuck with my team. Right. And uh, that wasn't the goal. I was like, well, I don't like the Patriots. I'm never going to like the Patriots. And so those type of things, I think people say he's real. And yeah. that's how our whole team has been. It's just been, we are who we are. Um, and we've, we've tried to, uh, yeah, we live here. We, we serve people here. We eat here. We, you know, we buy groceries here. This is home. But I am who I am, and yeah. uh, I think that's refreshing for people. New Englanders are very authentic in nature, so I think they appreciate that I haven't tried to become one of them. They would have seen right through it, especially if I tried to bust out one of my little New England you know, uh, accents. It wouldn't have worked out well. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, heard, I've heard New Englanders say it's sort of like tough to get in, but once you're in, you're in for life. Have you and found that to be it. true? Some of the most... And, Beautiful people, man. Just real, um, authentic. There's no bless your heart and stab you in the back. You know what I yeah. mean? There's none of that. It is just, it's beautiful. We love that. The authenticity of the people is just, it's beautiful. Especially when they come to faith, it's real. So seven years in, planning a church, what's some of the hardest parts? What have some of the hardest parts been for you? Um, 
I think leadership development has probably been the most difficult thing. Yeah. And I think, I think everybody would say that, but I, I think in a place where there's not, there's not a, um, there's not streams of people coming here. There's not, we don't have, and you probably experienced this too. You don't have ready-made leaders. Um, oh no. And a lot of them are unchurched, right? I mean, if right. you're actually accomplishing your mission, my joke always with Connexus is the good news is we're accomplishing our mission. The bad news is we're accomplishing our mission <laughs> because you haven't got a whole lot of people who are heavily theologically educated. Right. It's not like there's a whole bunch of mega churches around and all the staff are leaving to join yours. Um, yeah, you got to raise up these leaders and you got to pound the pavement and try to find them. And, you know, we do most of our, our hires from within, but man, that's hard and that takes time. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's probably the hardest thing, especially when we really want to grow. We're in the process of uh, building our, our team for a second location right. and um, really been talking through who's going to be our location pastor and we want to do it all within. I think it's the healthiest way, especially in our context. Uh, it would be a big adjustment for someone coming from another place yeah. uh, to, to live here. Even, it's just a lot more expenses. It's just a difficult place. It's not easy to get here. And so we've been really focused in on developing leaders in the house, and it's working. Have most of your staff hires been internal so far? Yeah, every single one has been internal. Wow. Yes. I get that too. You know, and the other thing too is people, um, you know, lots of people want to move to LA or New York or Atlanta or that kind of thing. But we find a lot of people don't want to move to Canada and they don't want to move north of Toronto. Even Toronto people are like, what, you're north of Toronto? No, yeah. nobody lives there. It's like, well, yeah. actually people do. We, we like it here. But yeah. yeah, I get that. I get that. It's pretty cool too, because those who, who do buy-in who are at that level are all in you're oh, not yeah. gonna lose them. you know I, I love that because we have such a a loyal staff and they're i mean the dna is there uh the culture's there so it's really been it's it's a lot of hard work and we're still doing it carrie it's hard uh, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact this morning uh, i have a team of guys that um um guys i handpicked that i see the leadership qualities that we're looking for and just flat, you know, fleshing out some of the things and getting them to understand that they have a call in their life. Uh, I heard Chris Hodges say this one time. He said, uh, I, I, it was like a random encounter I had with him. Mm -hmm. I, I just asked him, it's like, it's like, when you go into a room, what are you looking for? I said, he says, I'm looking, I'm looking for the leaders in the room. And, um, I said, well, what does that look like? He says, I'm not looking for the people who are, who are looking for help and assistance. And he says, I, it doesn't, I don't want this to sound negative. I'm looking for the leaders so that we can help the people who need the assistance. That that's was really good. Powerful. That's Isn't good. Isn't that good? And so that's something that challenged me so much that I want to look for those leaders. Says, I really feel like God has called us. The rescue mission is real. And we live in a place similar to you where people are hurting. They're hopeless. They, they, I just... I just want to raise up leaders so that we can reach them because I can't do it all. What's been the hardest part for you personally, just as the leader, as a man, as a husband, as a Christ follower? What's sure. it's uh, leadership's always a journey. What's what's been the hardest part for you? I think the hardest part was the first seven years. I was so involved. I got so close to what God was doing here that I became critical of it. Yeah. And I think many leaders get there. You get critical of it. 
I'm, I can become a, I can, I'm a detail guy and I can become very critical. And, and I, at year seven, I started getting that and my heart was, and I think a lot of it had to do with, it was a good thing. I, I was, I, I pioneered, I helped, I was a part of everything. And then you get to the point where you're so close to it. You begin to, to just see all the flaws. You don't see the beauty. Oh, yeah. And so you walk into yeah. your new building and you're like, Hey, there's that smudge on that wall. Who's going to fix that? Uh, is that the totally worst? wired that way. It yeah. is. It is. So, so this summer I took a seven week sabbatical. Um, the, our board said, Hey, this is what we want you to do. And our, our executive team was excited about that. Cause I got out of their hair. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, Carrie, it was so refreshing. I, I probably look different. You know, I feel different because I was able to get away and get up so close. And now I've been able to step away. And it's like when you're at a museum and you go to this beautiful picture from a distance and then you get up close. It's just a bunch of smudges. Yeah. Yeah. Now I see the picture again. I see what God is doing here. And so for me, the, the greatest challenge is I get too close too quick and I've got to balance myself and I've got to trust my team. That's a good word. What's been easy? What's been easy about this journey? What, what have you been like, wow, didn't, didn't think that would be that simple? Yeah. I think it's that opportunity. Mm. I, I think the easiest thing, Carrie, and I would say this to any church leader, is to stop looking at the lost causes. Stop uh, trying to declare a culture war and just look at the opportunity that lies ahead of right. us. I mean, we've got over 600,000 people in Vermont alone that don't know Jesus. I could complain about the fact that they don't know Jesus and that they live different than me and they have different values than me. Or I could look at it as like, oh, the world is against me and kind of go inward focused. Or I can see it for what it is. Like Jesus died for all 600,000 people. They need to know that. You know, they know Jesus. So I think it's for me, it's easy. It's like, this is an opportunity. Like this is such a no brainer. And and let's just face it. And in context such as ours, where there is not a uh, Judeo-Christian uh, culture. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. We're two generations removed from that in New England. Um, it's, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I think it's a little bit easier because you don't have to contend with religiosity. And you don't have to contend with a lot of the things that you would in a place in the Bible Belt where, I mean, I, I don't think South Florida is the Bible Belt, but people were relatively churched and it was very Judeo-Christian. And so people could become religious and have that. We don't have to deal with that. Yeah. What an opportunity, man. It's unbelievable. People, there's a curiosity now. There's, there's an openness. Yep. You have, uh, for church your size, I found this surprising, a pastor of leadership development. You, you know, I can see if you've got like 500 staff and you've got someone in charge of leadership development, but how many staff do you have? Do you have a dozen or six? So, yeah, we have currently, I believe we have 12 on yeah. staff. That's part-time and full-time. Sure. And you have a pastor of leadership development. Talk to us That's about right. that. Yeah. So we decided um, to make leadership development a priority because what I shared with you earlier, you said, what's the greatest challenge? It's that. And, and so we decided let's, let's, lean into that. Let's bring a solution to that. And, and a lot of it had to do with the people that God had placed here uh, our, our, uh, in, our, in the house. So a uh, guy that I became really good friends with, on our, he, like from day one, he and his wife came to our first ever launch. And they were local. They're indigenous here. And um, we became friends. And I just started mentoring him. And it was like in year one, I said, you're going to be on our staff one day. 
and you're going to be our leadership pastor. You're going to be you're going to be helping us solve the problem that void of leaders in the church. You're going to help bring us. And he laughed. Well, we hired him in January, and um, it's been the most. Ex- it's just been awesome because it's helped us kind of get uh, ahead of the curve in regards to this great challenge that we face, and that is leadership development. There's not an excuse. I don't ever want to excuse it. Oh, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough leaders. Well, we got people. Let's let's go in there. And I just read a book about it. It's like leadership is not something that you're necessarily born of, something that you learn and you grow in, right? And this is something mm-hmm. that we can teach this. And there are going to be people who have different reflections of leadership, but man, let's go Let's go find them and let's go empower them. So that's what Matt's doing. And he is doing an amazing job. He comes from a corporate background uh, at a local company that, uh, that had a school of leadership and he'd helped develop it from the ground up. And so we, we basically hired him from there and he has just been a golden hire for us. So when you say January, you mean like a few months ago, you hired him like this year? In tw- yeah, we wow. hired him in 2017. Yeah, That's cool. So yeah. a couple of quick takeaways in these early days. What are you doing that is helping put fuel on the leadership development fire? So I would say for us, it's empowering people, giving them opportunities, uh, letting them, you know, leadership is, a, is, is, is really um, creating uh, and developing problem solvers, right? And that's what yeah. we want to do. And so it's helping them see the problem. And so empowering them to be a, solu- uh, a solution to the problem, helping them find the solutions to the problems. And so we're, we're getting into the relationship aspect, and Matt's doing that, and that's in our house. Yeah. Uh, and other ways in New England, I feel like God has given us um, some opportunities in our region, too, in partnerships with our uh, networks. Man, God is doing something so cool in New England. You've experienced some of it. There's a really great synergy in the Big C Church in New England. Yeah, there is. And so. We, we draw off each other, learn from each other, best practices on how to empower and train leaders up, raise leaders up. And so um, we've just been intentional in giving people opportunities to see the problem and help them fl- flesh out, well, what is the solution to this problem? I think your advice on seeing opportunities more than you see anything else is great advice. But do you have any other uh, advice that you would give to the church planters listening, whether they're just, you know, they're in Florida, they're ready to go to England, or they're in those first few years and they're running up against roadblocks? What would you say to the church planters who are listening right now? You know, I would say, uh, first of all, what somebody told me, be you, Hmm. be you. Don't try and be somebody else. And I'm so grateful for that because we live in a day and age where people are trying to be other people so much. Yeah, it's we just, are. It's epidemic, and especially in the church world. It's like, be you. Uh, if you're a beach bum from Florida, be a beach bum from Florida. If you're, you know, you're Canadian, be a Canadian, you know, like be who God made you. Um, and uh, he will use that in whatever context you're in. So I think that's good. And uh, a kind of a practical idea is if you're in a community, a small rural community, I would say go find some of the business leaders, Hmm. go rub shoulders with them, go be a part of the chamber of commerce, because that was something for us that worked really well and helped us understand the people that we're trying to reach. Really, uh, we kind of, I mean, that was a, I feel like we got ahead of the game on that. Yeah, and then you get the influencers in the community too. That's who's part of the chamber. That's right. 
What about for church, um, uh, like church leaders who are trying to transition their congregation to reach people? So established church could be decades old, centuries old, and mm. they're trying to renew it. Any, any advice or tips for them? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the churches that are more established in our context uh, really would fall into the lost cause mentality or the culture war mentality. Mm. And if God has called you there to lead your church, to be a church that is uh, reaching and a life-giving church, you need to lead your people to see the opportunity and get out of the inward focused or on the accusation. It's that whole idea of we're, you know, we're ostracizing ourselves by accusing people right. who aren't like us, or we're looking so inward focused, we're missing the opportunity. Uh, you, I think that's crucial, man. If you're transitioning a church, you feel like God has called you to be a life-giving church that's reaching your community. Sh- let your people see the opportunity. Hmm. You know, I think you're right. So much of that is a mental game, it's a spiritual yeah. game, but it's a mental game. It is. Well, Chris, this has been so refreshing, and it's just great to be able to share a good news story that I know has got implications going to ripple into the lives of tens of thousands of leaders who are listening. Um, people are going to want to know more. Where can they find you and Riverbank Church online? Sure. Um, you go to riverbankchurch.com. That's our, that's the church website. I'm, I'm an Instagram junkie, just like about everybody else is right now. Yeah. Um, so you can find me, uh, Chris Gepner. That's just my name. And, um, yeah, so those are things. I, I also have a small little podcast is, uh, that I do. It's called Practical Church. And uh, if you go to practical.church, you can go ahead and listen there. And we talk to a lot of uh, church leaders in, in, uh, in New England and some others. Actually, just had Paul Smith on there. Oh, yeah, I know Paul. Yeah. We were on a awesome. mission trip. He's been on my podcast, too. He was on the Rural Multisite. Yeah, smart dude, it. eh? Yeah. I love Paul Smith. I yeah, want to be more like Paul Smith. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is a great guy, and uh, well, well, we'll link to that one, that rural multi-site uh, panel we put episode. together. That was fascinating. I mean, so we'll link to all that in the show notes, including your podcast at practical.church. Chris, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I thank you so much, Carrie. Thanks for the honor of being here. And man, I just love you and love what you do. And thank you for adding to the you know, value to the Big C Church, man. Well, likewise, Chris. Thank you. One of the things I love about Chris's story is the idea that anything is possible anywhere. And I just, I don't know, I live off that stuff every day, right? So wherever you are, maybe you think, well, you know, I'm in Vermont. Nothing ever grows here. Well, you never know. Anything is possible anywhere. And I love Chris's story. If you want more, you can go to the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 167. Or just head on over to leadlikeneverbefore.com and search out Chris's name, G-E-O-P-P-N-E-R. You'll find it there. And it's in the blog section, and you'll find the show notes there. So next week, we are back. Again, subscribers, you'll get this automatically. we got a fresh episode dropping. And I'm going to have uh, well, a bunch of really exciting conversations coming up, which is why I suggest subscribing. But John Ortberg is up next week. And uh, John has been one of my favorite leaders for many, many years. I've read numerous books he's written. And I got to meet him, actually, for the first time. And he said, sure, I'll come on the podcast. So I uh, got a good dose of John Ortberg in the last month. And you're going to love next week's episode. Here's a sneak peek. And I find, at least for myself, Carrie, 
almost always when there's um, this kind of hurry, uh, it, 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 it includes a burdened sense of preoccupation. Hmm. And then a little bit underneath that will be self-pity and martyrdom. Poor me because I have so much to do. <laughs> Uh, and then under that will be ego and selfishness. And I must be successful and look impressive to get other people to applaud. So it's really a whole system, a whole way of life um, that I have to learn to let go of and die to so that I actually can be fully present. And it certainly doesn't mean that I always have to be interrupted by anybody, but it does mean um if I'm living with a chronic sense of irritation or hurried preoccupation, uh, I, I am not living in that one day at a time manna from heaven mode that makes life enjoyable. Well, that's next week. Also got some fascinating people we're going to be introducing you to. Dave Ferguson is up. Um, somebody that I actually got to know last year, Esther Federkevich unbelievable leader and uh, also my agent. So we're going to talk all about books and writing and leadership and church space. Jason Romano, sports fans, he's back uh, talking to Robbie Gallaty and also a Jewish rabbi about the Jewishness of Jesus. I mean, hey, why not, right? Why not? And then Craig Rochelle kicks off 2018 and we got so much more planned. Well, I, I got episodes planned right through to April of next year. So you can subscribe, uh, do it for free wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, I really hope this has helped you. Thank you again for all your encouragement. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being you. And uh, thanks for, you know, just investing in your leadership. I, I really hope this helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.